This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies, from first-time directors, indie art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we look into the 1982 film from Academy Award-winning director Catherine Bigelow and her 50s biker film and directorial debut titled The Loveless, starring William Defoe in his first appearance on the silver screen. Bigelow co-wrote and directed the film with Monty Montgomery, and the duo along with the cast and crew took only 22 days to film principal photography. The Loveless is an independent biker drama centered on a mischievous motorcycle gang who enters into a small southern town, running amok and causing trouble, only to lead to a murderous and unexpected ending. The film premiered at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland in the fall of 1981, and then later at the prestigious Toronto International Film Festival in the fall of 1982. It has a running time of 85 minutes and would mark the beginning of Bigelow's ascension into the Hollywood directorial sphere. Her other works include Near Dark, Blue Street, Point Break, and The Hurt Locker. I'm Gabe Bienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast. And with me, as always, veteran podcaster and editor, the impeccable Alan Martindale. I'm impeccable. That's right. You I are like impeccable. That. Professional. Professional. Thanks for being here. How the hell are you? Uh, I'm confused. I'm super confused. Join the club because <laughs> today marks the last film in the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out tonight. Yep, tonight. And here we are talking The Loveless. The Loveless. <laughs> Sweet. So I'm not, I'm not hearing good things about the new Star Wars. Yeah, I haven't heard very good things yeah. either. But who cares what the critics yeah, say? As I we're, know. As I know. we're ready to critique I love a film. the last one. I love the last one, even you though it's like Jedi. one of the most hated hated ones. I've loved it. The initial screening, I was like, eh. And then I watched it a couple more times and I went, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's see where he's going with this. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. But I like how I like what J.J. Abrams has done. Me too. Like I thought the, the Force, Force Awakens. Awakens was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reboot of A New Hope. It's yeah, fine. For sure. No problems for there. Sure. Yeah. Although it's not quite a standalone. Like A New Hope is a standalone film. Definitely. Whereas uh, The Force Awakens is definitely reliant upon the serial approach of mm-hmm. the, the follow up. For sure. But it was still good. Yeah. So I, I, think, I liked it. Yeah. I think he'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm not uh, nonetheless uh Star Wars comes out tonight but here we talk The Love List by uh Catherine Bigelow. Now now I chose this film because I thought uh so far in every movie that we've watched in the podcast I I've seen it at some point in history. This one I hadn't seen but I kind of wanted to look at uh female directorial debuts. And for whatever reason the first thing that came to mind was Catherine Bigelow because she directed Point Break mm-hmm. with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, which I love that movie. It's a great movie. <clears throat> I've always loved it. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I don't know if it still holds up, but I just remember it loving does. that movie. Does it? It still okay. holds up. For me, it still holds up, yeah. and it's always on cable. So yeah. Can, oh, yeah. It always you can, is. You can like watch it on cable, but I thought, was that in my head, not knowing that her history, I mm-hmm. thought, is that her first film? So I'm like, let's do one of hers. So I chose her. Right. Uh, and also her being an Academy Award winning director. Mm-hmm. I thought she's got it. Okay, let's go see what she it's did. Good first. choice. Yeah. Good choice. Um, and then we got to The Loveless and we started watching that. So tell me about those initial impressions because you, you, you said you seemed confused. I'm just confused. I just don't understand why. Why? Like it just did nothing happens. I, I went in fully expecting to love Willem Dafoe as usual. Yeah. But even he, like it's just the cartoony dialogue. I feel like I was watching Grease or like West Side Story or something. Yeah, they're definitely trying to hit on that 50s era which it, where it takes place. But was that is that really how these bikers talked back then like that? I, I understand there's probably some slang, but that thick of just a groovy daddy-o. It's like it's was it over, that bad? It's overly stylized. Yeah, for I sure. I think. I mean, I can't I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert in 50s slang. Uh, or how bikers talked. However, it seemed overly stylized. Yeah, that's how it felt to me. But not in a good way either. No, 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 no. Like there's a way to, if you can uh, put it right on the nose and make it uh, almost silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, with intent. If you look at something like, like Pulp Fiction with Tarantino or something like right, that, it has right. a, a sty- it's done intentionally mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with, with a certain spin to it. 
and I know that that doesn't take place in, you know, but I mean like this era of, they, they were trying to do it, but with a serious tone almost. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't no, play. No, no, you can't, you can't mix it that way. I mean, it can get to a point where it's so corny that it becomes funny or good, and that was not this no, at all. That wasn't the direction they were taking. Now, every character was just way over the top. Even like the, the antagonist. I don't, I don't even know the guy's name. But the guy with the, the the oil tycoon guy, Tarver. Tarver. Even he was just so over the top on every, it, like no subtlety whatsoever. Yeah, it's very, it's it's interesting. We'll start at the beginning of the film because we we immediately get our first glimpse into William Defoe. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, like if you think of, you think about William Defoe and his body of work over the last thirty years, yeah, he's done some great movies. And my wife asked me, well, what has he done? And I immediately went to, he was uh, uh, the Green Goblin in Spider-Man. Yeah, 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 it was always that. I always think of Antichrist. <laughs> or Antichrist. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I was trying to figure one that would that she might recognize. Right, right, right. Um, but he's a great actor. Yeah. Uh, you, there's nothing, uh, he's in the Florida Project more recently. He's a good actor, but but man, we get that first glimpse of him on the street riding the bike. I'm kind of intrigued. I'm going, okay, we got a yeah. biker. Yeah, he, he, he can hold the camera. I mean, okay, where are we going with this? Sits on these shots for really long periods of time. Very long time. Every single shot is really, really long. There's, uh, and, and it just starts to introduce us to this character. He's just driving down the street by himself on his bike. He's a 50s, he's a 50s Harley guy. Yeah. Right? He's a greaser. He's a greaser. Right. <clears throat> and it's, it's just very slow. At the beginning of the film, it just doesn't. He gets to. <laughs> I'm laughing because at the beginning of the film, and the middle of the film, and the end of the film, the ending will get to be. But I think this is where it kind kind of starts to, to to elevate a little bit. Okay. At the end. Oh yeah, for and sure, I'll explain for sure, and when you, sure. you know why. But like the 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 opening scene, it's him driving, and then all of a sudden he sees a an abandoned, not an abandoned. I'm sorry. A dessert? No, what's the fucking word? Uh, run down. Run down, broken down broken car down. on the yep. side of the road. He pulls over. And I actually liked this scene. The scene was actually pretty good. If it kind of would have continued in this ilk, I would have enjoyed it a lot more. He pulls over, basically offer, offers, initially, you, there's a woman driving. She's by herself. The car's broken down. The greaser, the biker stops. You think, okay, this can go one of two ways, or really just one way in my head. Mm. This is gonna be. This is gonna start this film off with some kind of <laughs> rape scene. Or I, I thought, that's how. I, that's what I thought. I thought it was either gonna go that way, or it was gonna do like an easy rider thing, where it's kind of subverting your expectations of the bad boy. Really, is not as bad as you think they oh, are. Yeah, type of yeah. thing. I, I wasn't sure play which the, way they were gonna go with it. Play the counter yeah, approach. Yeah. Of of of. The guy, the look, the the don't judge a book by its right, cover exactly. approach. Exactly. Um, but he gets out and, and goes over and, and he does, he just pops the trunk, pulls out the jacks, pops the wheel, while the woman's in the car starts jacking up the car to fix the tire. Right. And I actually kind of like the dialogue that went on here a little bit. Yeah. Because it wasn't over the top. It was just he's just his answers were kind of cool. Like it was just. Yeah. She asked him questions, and he just like kind of one word answers, but they're really like kind of vague, and you could tell he was kind of building that mystery. And she was kind of first she was scared of him, now she's a little intrigued and yeah. probably a little attracted to him. And I thought, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. And it, like I said, if they would have continued in this ilk, I would have enjoyed the movie a lot more. Yeah, that's interesting because the the tonality does change a little bit later. And in this first scene, he is it's not forced. He's mm-hmm. he's laid back. It it seems like a. Uh, a, a conversation that can actually resonate that's real right right and uh he helps her fix the tire and then it does take a little bit of a spin yeah because he's <laughs> fixing the tire and you think it's gonna he's just doing a good deed yeah he's not doing a good yeah, deed. he's a good samaritan yeah, on a exa- bike. exactly exactly no he uh <laughs> i think he just asked her how much you got yeah he asked for for, for money and she pulls her wallet out she's feeling like she owes him something so she gives him some cash and then he counts it for a second turns around and quickly grabs her wallet <laughs> and starts taking all the cash out of her wallet yep so it's kind of this contrary positioning where he um, is providing a, a very generous service to someone who's stranded mm-hmm. 
and then at the same time robbing them. Yeah, exactly. So then it then the tonality changes a little bit too, and, and he kind of falls back in line with what you might stereotypically think of a of a bad right. boy. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So and then it takes another turn. Because <laughs> after he takes the money and he throws the wallet back in, he just goes in and starts kissing this girl. Right. And filling her up. Feels her up, sexually assaults her. Basic yeah, it's a complete straight up. Right. What what's going on? Right, right. What it, what is happening? It doesn't make I, I, it doesn't make any sense. You have to explain to me who made you watch this film. Who made me watch it? Yeah, you made me watch oh, this film because you I'm, made me watch this. I'm film. I'm trying to figure out what the hell's well, going on. I, and I, I, it's it sets him up well, saying that he does whatever he wants, basically. Yeah, and he's only in. He's only out for number one. He's looking out for number one, and that's it. And he'll do whatever he wants. And that could be provide service to someone. Yep. Uh, that could be. Sexually assault them. Right. Uh, that could be robbed from them. Right. But uh, he doesn't take the assault further. He just leaves. No. He kind of laughs and leaves. He goes in for a quick French kiss and fills her up and then leaves. Yeah. And takes her money. He doesn't rape her. He just no. robs her and... And drives to the cafe. And kinda, yeah. He's done. And then... <laughs> <laughs> what he, the hell? What the hell? This, this era is confusing, too. So this is like the 50s era. Like... It's like, I don't understand it. Right. Obviously, you know, um, it's well past my prime. It happened 70 years ago. So I just don't understand the motivation to this character. He's just aimlessly wandering, right? Yeah. Um, arrives at a, at a, after this scene, he just arrives at a bar and has a little bit of a flirtatious fling with the waitress there. Right. Um, and the conversation there is weird too. The whole thing, the, the, like you mentioned, the dialogue is strange because it, it like pauses and then he, 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 he takes a breath and then he delivers another line and then he says, get me the, egg, get me some food or whatever it is. I don't even remember the direct line, but it's just very clunky. He just says, scramble them. That's all he says. Yeah. She gives him coffee and he dumps like half the bucket of sugar <laughs> in his coffee half he the does. bucket of sugar that's funny i noticed that too you just, like, <laughs> i just like god that's gotta be terrible yeah and then he just says scramble them yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we know what he's talking about yeah like it's kind of cool at this point like it's kind of like okay all right i can i can jive with this I'm, i can get down with it i don't get any here. of it but it just gets so cartoony and also the shot yeah so you have this high angle shot in the back and it just sits for like two minutes. It's like they didn't get enough coverage or There's something. There's no change. There's no emphasis. It's very li- like plain. Yep. And I'm I'm kind of just waiting for something to happen. Right? Yep. <laughs> for, exactly. Literally, I'm yeah. waiting for even a cut or a change in the story or a char- new character to enter. It's just kind of uh, confusing up to this point. I just yeah. don't get it. And... She brings out the food, and then eventually you get his crew. His crew arrives. Yeah. Right? And his, he's already pissed that they took so long. And he, and yeah, and I don't under, he had time to outrun them and change a tire and right, right. fill someone up and eat his breakfast, and then they arrive. And I guess the thought was one of the crew blew out his engine or right. one of his. The had chain a problem. The chain on his yeah. bike had had gone. But it took everybody to. Right. I don't understand. <laughs> the whole thing doesn't make any sense. I don't get it, Alan. I'm going to keep. I just. I don't even know where to go with this podcast. I don't either. The whole movie <laughs> is just. And then I, I'm actually interested how you're going to do this because nothing happens after this. Like it, they're just stuck there, and a bunch of things happen, but it doesn't build to anything. Well, we do know that they're on route to Daytona. Right. Uh, for the races, right? Which I don't understand why they're going to. Daytona. Are they racing, or are they just going to go watch the races? That is or? never understood. But they're on their way down. We we assume that later on too, they're from uh, Yankee country, mm-hmm. northern, uh, e- no, northeast America, United States, and they've now traveled down to the south. What's this idea behind the south? With because the previous film with Easy Rider, there was like a murderers in the south right, and, and right. anybody who was uh 
overtly liberal or had some kind of progressive approach to how they're, to their thinking was like taken out. Like right. Jack Nicholson's character in Easy Rider right. gets killed. And yep. then you go down to the South again and these guys just see these Yankees come they're down. They're labeled as communists immediately. Exactly. Yeah. And they want to kill them. Right. I don't, I don't know. Have you ever visited the South? Yes, before? it's it's actually there's a reason they call it Southern Charm because everyone down there is fantastic. That's what I my I uh, last year went down. I was down in Louisiana, uh, I, and maybe I have because I haven't. I don't know. Maybe I haven't lived there, but right. it was perfectly like I, charming. I, I've spent time in North Carolina and Louisiana. Not I spent time. I've been to those places, yeah. and everyone's very. Even if you go, like if you ever have to fly out of Salt Lake and fly across country and have to stop in Atlanta. Even the people in the airport are incredibly nice. They're charming. Whereas early morning flights here in Salt Lake, everyone's bitching and moaning. Down there, <laughs> everyone's friendly. They're smiling at you. They're waving. How you doing? Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is. There's a bitter aggression in these characters, at yeah. least, for these storylines. Yep. And it all takes place down south. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, but they're on route to Daytona. His, his crew arrives... Um, they're, some the the waitress there is kind of charmed by him, mm-hmm. maybe not even charmed, but kind of intrigued. Definitely, because they're outsiders, Definitely. and they and they immediately uh, stick out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And so, but we do meet the other bikers, and then we also meet uh, Tarver. The, 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 the Tarver. This 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 character does play into the story later on, mm-hmm. quite importantly, but. He's kind of a dick, and he's basically... He's, he's over the top. He's, he's over the top, but he's... he's uh, I'm just waiting for him to grow, uh, you know, he, he's just a mustache away from being like a super villain, twisting <laughs> his mustache and like with a top hat, you know, like... Yeah. He's just... He's that, it's he's, cartoonish. Yeah, that's it's what, very that's cartoonish. That's the perfect way to describe him, and um, has complete aggression towards these bikers from the get-go. Towards everybody. He's very aggressive. Just and an asshole. I think you painted it perfect, which is he's very much got that cartoon vibe. Right, right. Know, over the top. Uh, Dirk Dastardly. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I can't remember what he says to the people, in, even in the uh, the diner, but just a total dick to them. Yeah. Just, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's, it's an introduction to his character, but once again, doesn't really take us anywhere. I'm bored at this point. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out... I'm trying to figure out what's going on. That's very well said. Um, but ultimately, they ask if there's a garage house nearby where mm-hmm. they can go tune up their buddy's bike. They can fix the chain, the engine, whatever it is they need to fix, so they can continue on their way to to, to Daytona. Mm-hmm. And uh, they mention that there's a, a garage house a few miles down the road. And so William Defoe's character jumps on his bike. His character name's Vance. He jumps on a bike, rides down there. Has an interaction with the 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 owner. Right. Uh, the owner says, "Okay, make it twenty bucks if you're going to be here for the day. You can use my garage." And he says, "Okay," and then goes back to the cafe, meets with his buddies, and tells them they basically got a place they can fix the bike. And can I say this? Like, because this thing happens a couple times. What is so badass about drinking a bottle of Coke? Because these 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 greasers. Love to go to that Coke machine and grab a bottle of Coke and, like, just drink it with their foot up against the building. Just, like, putting out the vibe. It's just, I don't understand. It, it would be one thing if, if Coke sponsored the film. Right, right. And d- notice, too, one great thing about the 50s is that Coke only cost them a dime. That's true. I know. I noticed so that. So maybe yeah. that's why they yeah, kept maybe, going back because yeah. it was cheap. It, this whole thing just felt like a Stephen King novel because he just, this is the kind of environments he writes about. And that's the kind of dialogue he writes, like just so cartoony and ridiculous and over the top. Yeah. And it really felt like, I don't know, just like a Stephen King thing. I thought it felt uncertain, too. It's like, look at these. They're unclear on what they're even trying to do. Mm-hmm. They're like, we had managed to scrum up some money and we fa- the, to find some investment. Yeah. And here's a story about a biker gang that goes... And supposedly, off based on some research, it's also based on a Marlon Brando film called The Wild Ones. Oh, is which it? Which came out in the 50s. Okay. And it's about a gang that goes into a town, and Brando's character, uh, there's there's another gang comes in, and there's a little bit of a, a, a scuffle, mm-hmm. and Brando's character falls in love with the sheriff's daughter, 
and like it's this kind of the outsider's vibe. Sure. Uh, and that's kind of apparently what part of this movie is based off of. But it almost still feels like they just like scrummaged up some financing. And also, what's with the co-directors? Yeah, I didn't understand that either. Like, and, and let's let's just call him out right now. Like, who's Monty Montgomery? I, I've never heard of him. But from what I understand, I mean, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but I read a little bit about this. It sounds like really it was Catherine Bigelow who directed it. Yeah. And for some reason, they threw this guy's name on there, too. I wonder if that's a weird... I don't know what that would be. I'm curious to know why he even is in the picture. I don't know what he did later. Um, based on some of that research, he didn't do a whole lot. Not The only thing he's ever directed is this. The only thing he's credited on IMDb as directing is this. He's a producer on a bunch of other stuff, Twin Peaks. Oh, that's a big that's a big one though. Yeah. Um, let's see. It's David Lynch. Mulholland Drive. He's Oh, I think he was an actor in, in Mulholland Drive. So he's got some kind of tie into David to Lynch. David Lynch, yeah. That makes sense because I actually love David Lynch, but this film would have has a little vibe of a David Lynch in a way that it's overly stylized yes, and like yes. it's not as well done. For like sure. I really enjoyed Twin Peaks. It's so obscure, yeah, and yeah. so different, um, and so. And you were mentioning like some of the acting, so over the top, and, but it and, works. And it works. But in the that. way he does it, there's something the way he builds that that makes it feel right, right, like believable. Right. Whereas this is trying to do that, and it fails. It it does. Something's missing. It fails horribly. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So <laughs> that's fail horribly. <laughs> we're basically 10, 15 minutes into this podcast and we've basically told everybody not to watch this. Yeah. Film. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. Um, <laughs> it, it but, just but sucks, it, there, man. Like, here's, here's the, here's the real weird kicker about it as it goes on. It, th- it kind of got interesting towards the end. And yeah. this is the thing is like you went 60, 70 minutes of just uncertainty and unclarity and no vision for me, no vision. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the underlying thing here. And that, I, I mean, also like you just, th- that's probably part of their intention to some degree. For sure. I, I, I'm just, there's, it's got to be deliberate, right? It has to be. You would think so. I hope so. Also, it's her first film out of, like she went to Columbia University. It's one of her first films coming out of school. Okay. So there's a little bit of those, well, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, especially with this particular podcast, is that, look, we're looking at first-time directors a lot of the time, and they're getting their training wheels. For sure. Or they they're still have their training but, wheels. I mean, I can understand that. I can understand that. But to, la- to me, there's no excuse for this movie. Like It, it seems like there's- every time it starts, you think it might start to get interesting. It just doesn't. Yes. Like the opening scene. I thought that was an interesting way to set up the character, uh, but nothing comes from that. Like we're, it, there's no callback to it. There's no, it doesn't, even later on, it's, there's some inconsistencies with what we see in the first scene with what he does later on. Like the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. But he does come into town. Mm-hmm. And at the end, and we'll get into it, he leaves town. So it's just like he comes into town, stuff happens, right. and he leaves. Right. And part of the stuff that happens is, uh, they go to fix their uh, the bike mm-hmm. that's that's broken, and while they're there at this garage house, uh, Telena comes in. Telena is, uh, we've come to find out that Telena is this young young girl, but she's Tarver's daughter. We come to find that out. Tarver is once again the guy that was in the cafe, mm-hmm. who was a douchebag, the Dirk Dastardly kind of villain-esque right. type guy you know and we see him at, at a, a gas station later on where he's yelling at some guy yeah who buys his gas from i i can't remember but he's just over the top he's over the know? top but telena is his daughter right and while they're at their while they're fixing the bike trying to get back on the road so they can get to daytona that's the other thing like there's no urgency they're like we got two days man yeah yeah we'll just take it easy <laughs> cool out daddy-o cool out daddy-o <laughs> have a cigarette yeah exactly and a coke and a Coke. And a Coke. <laughs> but Telena comes in and, and uh, she's driving this real nice hot rod. This real nice mm-hmm. car, I should say. And I'm not a car guy, so I couldn't even explain to you what car it was. But it's this nice, red, beautiful sports car. Mm-hmm. And she pulls in and, and she's like very flirtatious. And like and uh, she also looks extremely young. Yeah. And starts flirting with William Defoe's character. Right. And 
before you know it, he's like, what's it going to take to ride this car? You know, and there's some sexual in, innuendo too, like in the, sure. in the, in the, in the dialogue, they start talking and he's like, you know, talking about he'd go to jail if he got in this car with you. Right. He's, he's referencing the fact that she looks young. Yeah. She's jailbait. She's jailbait. Totally. And so. But again, but, I, I did like her response. Like I, to me, there are these moments where the dialogue actually kind of works where it's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. As much that's as we're shitting on it, there are right? some moments that it clicks where he goes, what's a guy got to do to drive that car? And she just says, turn the keys. Yeah. And that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it just it, it gets lost in the wash of just the cartoonishness of the rest of the dialogue. So there's our one highlight so far. Yeah. There's a line of dialogue yeah. where she says, turn the keys. Yeah, exactly. But but he does. They end up, he, she, he gets in the car and he just starts driving down the road, driving down the highway. And then he start, they're having this conversation back and forth. And she's telling William Defoe's character, she's telling Vance about how her father essentially calls her a prostitute or mm -hmm. a hooker because she flirts a lot and has sex a lot with boys and do you know what I mean? She yeah. says, I just tell him it's a talent. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's, if you think about telling this character, like you're saying, she's actually the most intriguing character so far. There is no doubt about it. I Like the gang, if you look at the gang, his his group of greasers. Bunch of. I, I couldn't even tell you one guy from the other. I know there's a guy that doesn't wear a shirt and that's it. That's one guy with yeah, there's really no big mutton chops. She's the only one that's very memorable and intriguing intriguing and you want to hear more about her and i think a lot of it comes from when the story she tells about her mother how her mother killed herself yeah because she couldn't stand being with her father, her father. essentially because mm -hmm. he said he's gonna one day he's gonna give her a smile from ear to ear yeah which is a line or a a, a line from i swear it's in uh dark knight it is, i think it is i think it because that's what exactly what i thought of i thought of the joke isn't that funny because they're in the car so they're driving in the highway and they're having this conversation and they're talking about her mother killing herself. Mm -hmm. They're talking about suicide. So yep. then becomes it. That's when. So up to this point, 30, 40 minutes into the film, nothing. But Telena comes in and we get a little more intrigue. Mm -hmm. And she says that line that the ear to ear thing. And I, I just kept thinking Heath Ledger. In, in yeah, Dark that's Night. what I kept thinking, too. For sure. That's a that's a still. That's a direct pull. Yeah, totally. Totally. I swear that line's and almost it, verbatim. It's kind of an Night. obscure movie, too. So, yeah. Good on. Uh. Good on, good on Chris. On Nolan, Nolan yeah. yeah. Good job. Good job, Chris. But, but uh, yeah. But that, but that backstory is intriguing because even William Defoe's character at this point, we're like, who cares? Right, 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 right. Exactly. Nobody cares. But Telena, there's some interest. And so, obviously, the, you know, the father's very abusive. And, and she drops the line. I, I don't remember what it is, but she mentions that he's like some oil guy. And that's when you put the two and two together that, oh, that Tarver guy is her father. Is her father. And also... And you start to feel for her immediately. Because Defoe's character is like, how'd you get this car? Right, right. You know, and he's playing into that. And then that explains the fact that she comes from some form of money. Right, right. right. You think oil, you think money. Yeah. So she's... But but then they, they're they flirtatious throughout. We learn about her mother. And basically Defoe's character is like, let's get some beer. Yeah. I want some beer. Where do I go? You know? Right. They go to... Uh, uh, a, a, a store they grab beer um there's a reference to some racial it's not there's some uh, indifference right and again here i thought it might get interesting i thought there might be some conflict or some tension nothing happens yeah yeah nothing, nothing happens. happens i kind of liked it though he walked I in too. they just like ignored him right, right exactly. <laughs> they were like everyone else sees him and they're like oh this dude's trouble yeah they, they just don't give a they shit didn't, right. they didn't care yeah they're playing the card uh, game. and they sold him the beer and yeah. then he left then he gets in the car, they drive back, and he just starts drinking in the car, no big deal. It's the 50s, whatever. Yeah. He's a buyer. He does what yeah. he wants. We already know that. He's drinking his beer in the car. And then really, Alan, to be honest, the biggest thing for me is that without covering anything, I don't even know if there's anything to really cover other than ultimately they end up in a hotel room or mm -hmm. a motel room having sex in this weird shot. That was a very weird shot. Because it's on the, and then it cuts to him and, and he's laying on top of her. They're just both butt ass naked. Yeah. And he's just laying on top of her. It almost felt like. It was like a weird shot. It was for almost, a sex scene. It almost felt like it was supposed to be artistic or something. Yeah. But it just didn't, it just looked awkward and strange. It didn't look comfortable. No. It didn't look like they were having an enjoyable time. No. 
didn't look like no, nothing that you would associate with sex. No, it just looked. It wasn't weird. sexy. It was the, just no. Like, the pose was weird. It was bizarre. He was like, <laughs> it was almost like he was posing for the camera. Exactly. <laughs> He's all, you know, it's yeah. so strange. Um, but they 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 have sex. So so nonetheless, even if she is jailbait, he didn't care. No, oh no, he doesn't give a shit point. about anything. And then you, <laughs> you uh, this is where we really know that Telena is uh, Tarver's daughter, because then outside the motel we hear shotgun, we yep. hear we hear gunshots. Yeah. And the tires of the car of her car, her red beautiful sports car, have been blown out. And then all of a sudden. They kind of jump up and they're like, "What's happening?" And then Tarver just breaks the damn door down, and grabs his daughter in the just nude and pulls her out. See, again, I thought things were going to get interesting. This is exactly they have these little. As much as we're kind of playing into the fact that there's not a lot going on, there are these little moments where you go, ah, "Here we go, here we go," and then it kind of just is a letdown. Right. It's going to be. I thought for sure it was going to be Willem Dafoe, just like. Going badass on this guy. That's what I thought. I thought, you know, he Tarver breaks into the motel room, starts yelling at his daughter. He also starts saying weird things like you're mine or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And then you start getting creeped out about that too because then you start going, is it more layered there right. between the daughter and father? And it, it starts to get real sickening. Right. <clears throat> but I also thought the same thing, which was like Defoe Vance is going gonna, is gonna to kick some shit up. And then when he starts pulling her out the door and she says, it's nothing you haven't done to me a hundred times before. Then you know. Then you know. And I also think, okay, Willem Defoe, at this point, he doesn't give a shit about anything. But that's cross, that's that's bad. Like, that's straight up abuse. Plus, the dude busted in on him. He's going to chase him down. He's going he's to get on his bike. He's going to get his game. In that moment. Yeah. In that exact right, moment. Right. And he's going to be like fucking shirtless right, on the highway. Right, exactly. Like, I'm going to fuck you up, right, Tarver. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's no, no, no. He sits back no. and smiles. Right, right. He doesn't care. Like, oh, the girl got caught. Oh, well. He got his rocks off. He doesn't care anymore. And exactly. And But that line of dialogue does hit him later. The line of dialogue that telling a response in a weird spot. And, and again, it hits him and you think, all right, his, his conscious is going to get to him. Is, but no. 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 No, he just sits there drinking beer. Loveless. <laughs> He's the loveless. He's the loveless. That's the name of the movie. Yo, it. yo it's all coming I together. It. I get it. Everybody go watch the movie yeah, right exactly. now. Stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, I mean, and then when he comes back uh, and one of his gang members says, did you get in there? And he said it was wide open. <laughs> it's just like, God damn. Like, oh my gosh, it's so dumb. It's I'm sorry. so stupid. It's so fucking stupid. What? Well, I don't that, even... But then that, so this is the thing a line like that, like you have some cool lines and then you have a line like that and you're like, come on. Yeah, right? Really? Give me a break. That's a little mud. That's, I'm going to attribute all the cool lines and cool moments of action to Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. And all the weird. Daddy-o <laughs> lines to Monty Montgomery. Because I think he came up in that era. Because Monty Montgomery has not done anything since uh, other than his affiliation with David Lynch. And I love David Lynch. So shout out there. Right, right. But do you know what I mean? Anything good from the movie came from Catherine. Catherine Bigelow. And yeah, anything right, right. that's over the top 50s I think that's campy fair. is Monty Montgomery. I think that's fair. Let's yeah. go with that thesis from like here that. on out. I like that. But he goes back, yeah, and he's like, yeah, wide open. <laughs> Wide and open. You're like, okay, you're a disgrace to yeah. to to humankind, and especially uh, any any dignified men. Um, <laughs> and you don't. The other thing is, at this point, it just it just reminds you that you don't care about the character. Exactly. At all. Exactly. The one the one character we may have cared about has just been dragged off by her her pedophile father. N- n- yes. And exactly. She's gone, and yeah. no one gives a shit. Yeah. You're the one that you're going to start to you're sympathizing with. Right, right. Um, now the trick is if you don't hear that line, if you don't hear her say that on the way out, then you don't really put two and two together until later. Right. In other words, she says nothing you haven't done to me, which means she's you know he's sexually assaulted or raped his own daughter, mm-hmm. and that's hard and disgusting and all the other things you could think on top of it. But if you don't hear that line, you don't really know that until later in the film. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost took me that recollection later to go, Oh, that's what she said. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Well, And this is, that was the only, that was the time when I'm, when I finally wanted Tarver to, to get some comeuppance. 
before I just didn't care. Like it's just he's a cartoony villain. I don't care. Yeah. But at that like that gets that's real dark. And we haven't been that we haven't been that dark in this movie yet. And that's the thing, the contrast the juxtaposition of the lighthearted, not the lightheartedness, but like the the way that they stylize mm-hmm. it with the whole right. thing and all the like fifties look and the whole drill, and then you're like throwing in this really dark, uh, you know, this not not even subtext, but but just dark storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but he goes back now. They do get uh, some vengeance because Defoe seems unaffected, but Later in the in the story, they do pursue him and they run him off the road. Oh, that's right. That's right. So that's right. But, but it's not clear entirely. And, and, and this comes down to how the filmmaking technique was for me. Like it took me a minute to realize that's what was happening because he goes back. They're fixing the bike. And then that night they go out to, to ride. Right. And the one guy who still has to fix his bike sticks around the garage and is fixing his bike and they just want to ride the highway for a minute. And they, they, they're, unless I'm completely miscued here, it, it, they catch up and they find Tarver and his daughter in a car and they chase him down and that's how they crash. I think you're right. I think you're right. So there is some, uh, retribution there in a way. For sure. But it's not executed very well in terms of how they did it in the edit and the way that it was put together. There's a lot of stuff with the, with the timeline and the edit that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like when Tarver's kind of putting together his gang to go to go take these communists out. But before that, if we if we stick on this just real quick, that 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 scene they do chase down Tarver in his car with Telena inside. But they, they didn't go out with the express intent to find him i don't think so okay but i don't think so that's what that's what we're saying is there's no clarity to like it it wasn't the intent of them to go let's go find tarver and kick his ass right it was like they went out to ride while their buddy was fixing his fixing his bike they ran across tarver and then pursued him because they're bikers right and they and then as a result he speeds up and crashes the car on the side of the highway and uh telling us the one that gets hurt She's yeah. got a big cut on her yep. face. Well, and this isn't the first time she's got a scar on her face because of her father either. Yeah. And that is that is mentioned earlier. And that's why she got the car, because he bought her the car to apologize for, for, the, scar. for the scar that he, he gave her. Yeah. Yeah. So we know he's abusive. We know he's a, a jerk. But he they, they, they run him off the side of the road, which is interesting, too, because unless they did, they not know that Telen is in the car. I have or no idea. Or does Defoe just not give a shit? I just don't think he gives a shit. I just I have no idea what what's going on in this entire movie, and the, I do, to be honest with you, I don't really care either. The one thing, once again, I don't care, but it's funny because there is a sympathetic emotionality uh, feeling for me towards telling. I want sure. I wanted her to get her right her vengeance right, and her right. her retribution. So when they do crash, I go man, but 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 then Vance, who's Defoe, he just keeps riding. Yeah. He's like, I, I hit that and I'm good. <laughs> like, yeah, what's doesn't the matter to him? Yeah, he doesn't yeah. care. But I think they're angry at Tarver for whatever reason, either the aggression that he showed at them earlier at the cafe mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so they run him down and right. they crash. And then it's this weird, once again, this is where the placement and how they, how they build the story doesn't make sense because that happens. And then it feels like within the next scene or so, they're basically at the lounge at another uh, uh, a bar, a cafe, mm-hmm. not a cafe, a lounge, right. a bar lounge, and everybody in the town is there. The yeah. bikers go. Uh, the waitress from the is, previous cafe is this goes. Before or after they were throwing knives at each other? This was. This is after. Okay, but that part's just dumb. They're just playing well, chicken with but knives. Here's the thing. Well, I, I, I do want to say it again. I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but they start playing with knives and throwing them at each other. I'm like. Maybe something interesting is going to happen here. They're playing with knives. And, of course, nothing happens. No, they're just in the – this they're, is before the scene I was just explaining. And they're right. in the, the garage. They're just playing tough guy. It's chicken yeah, with just, knives. There's, it's not – Right? It's chicken with knives. Right. It's stupid. The whole thing is stupid. This but whole they, movie's stupid. They, <laughs> <laughs> they end up – I want people to go watch it because I want them to see if they can make sense of it. 
But they, they get to the bar lounge, which is funny because, and I get it, I guess it's a small town, so that's where people would mm-hmm. go to have a good time. So that part I get. But basically everybody's there, the waitress, Tarver, the bikers. Tarver comes up and is like, hey, no hard feelings. And you're like, what? I know, because, but he also mentioned something like, guys got to get his, you know? It was something along those lines, another, another creepy line. Yeah, he does say to the guy that just had sex with his daughter, right. a guy's got to get his. Right. It's, it's disgusting. disturbing. Yeah, it, it's it's terrible. But, but but then, did they even show Tarver's face? Because I remember seeing that and just seeing a hand like it's it's a, a medium on on Defoe, yeah. and it's just a hand kind of patting him on the chest, being like no 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 hard feelings, right? And I don't remember. I remember thinking, is that Tarver? I don't. I, it, it is Tarver. It is. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of the shot, and I may be off here. I think you're right. It's that medium shot, but also I think he leans down into the frame. Does he? Okay. Okay. So the hand goes on, but then he leans into the frame and you see it's Tarver. And a guy has got to get, is just like, oh my God. Right. Who is this guy? Um, and, but they all, they all uh, congregate at this lounge and it's just weird. It's like, <laughs> there's a dynamic between, there's like the town, the small, t- the people in the town, mm-hmm. the bikers. And the waitress who kind of had a flirtation with Defoe's character right. earlier is there. And then she starts doing a strip tease. Where, like, I, where did this even come? Why is she doing that? I, I don't just know. don't I don't understand. But the men in the men in the lounger, they're feverish for her. Oh yeah. They're like they're going crazy. They're going crazy. Including a couple of the bikers. Yeah. Well, and then it's cut into the two the couple outside. So let's talk about that real quick because one of the bikers is a female one of the people right. the people in the game i thought she was with one of one of the well game, i though. mean i think she hops around okay but yeah i mean she's part of the crew okay and she's with the one guy but right. she's the traditional uh leather jacket high heels blonde yep from the 50s right with mm-hmm. the pony yeah tell. the rockabilly chick yep, yeah exactly sure. exactly and and she's kind of a, a flingster. She goes around, does whatever she wants to, because while that's happening inside with the strip tees and all the guys are distracted by this woman, outside, she's just randomly run across some dude. <laughs> and she's getting felt up. Yeah. Like They're getting busy. They're getting real busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't get it. What was the point of it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Back on the inside... <laughs> It feels like I'm trying to break a detective case here. Well, it, Back on the inside. Because, well, because they keep going, the way it's cut together, it looks like there's something going to happen because it, it, just, it's from outside to inside, outside to inside. Like it just keeps cutting back and forth as if these scenes are related to each other in some way. Now there is a little, and then it cuts also back to the garage house where the one yeah. guy is fixing yeah. his bike and- a bunch of locals pull up in a truck, a bunch of redneck locals, and start yelling at him. And then again, I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Something's going to happen. It's going to go down. No. Other, they race. They race. That's right. They race. And he says, I'll beat you on my bike. Yeah. And then they race. And then he wins. And then it ends. They're like, how fast does that, does that bike go? And like, no car can beat it. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. Cool. And then cut back to woman getting felt up. Cut back inside to the bar, <laughs> bar lounge. Of uh, Tarver now in the he's he's kind of crewed up a guy. Is that his brother? I have no idea. He's he's trying to convince another oh, guy it at is the bar. Brother. It is his brother to help him take out these bikers. He's communist. He'll, yeah, he'll even let him uh, be a partner in his business. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to entice him with with money, and, right, right, and resources. And so he's trying to crew up to take out Defoe and the bikers. And then again, I'm thinking, okay. Okay, it's going to go down. Shit's going to happen finally. Now, this is where it starts to get there. Now, here's up to this point, no reason for the movie to have been made. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If there was a reason, it was all telling his character because there's Mm -hmm. something there in her her build and her arc as a character. But up to this point, nothing happens except now when Tarver starts building his crew... Now they're starting to get something going. Right. And the bikers are in the outside. Tarver goes into the bathroom, right? Goes into the yeah. bathroom. And while he's in the bathroom, one of the biker guys come in. And he 
he starts peeing right there. The biker starts peeing yeah. in the urinal. And Tarver's like looking at him strangely. It, it wasn't even like a thing of like disgust or like I'm going to kick your ass. It was a thing of like a weird pervy look. Yeah. That, yeah. He's like looking over in the urinal like, right, right. like the guy in, a- in Ace Ventura. The- <laughs> <laughs> nice like, pull. Well, yeah, yeah, like what? What's going on? He was a bit creepy again. I'm like, okay, now Tarver. Yeah. Is, anyway, so but then it cuts to his, it cuts back outside to the bar lounge from the bathroom, and the scuffle that supposedly ensued is now Tarver pulling one of the biker guys with his pants down. Yep. And a gun. He has a gun, right? Yeah. And he's he's gonna take this guy out, and. His pants are down. It's just a weird scene. It's poorly done. It's poorly executed. That's what I mean. The the the, the development of the scene doesn't. It the just whole thing happens abruptly. Yeah. I don't even understand. Especially it. considering it, it feels like the whole movie was building up to this. And <clears throat> that's that's what I'm getting at. Is it does start to generate a little bit of interest for me because now I'm going okay. At least you got a guy with right. his pants down and a gun out. Right. Um, it's a precarious situation. It's a precarious situation, yeah, yeah. and we know that Tarver is a dick. And he thinks these guys are communists, and he might do something radical, something right. crazy. And we we want the bikers to to take him out. We, At this point, yeah, we and that and then then we do have a little bit of of motivation with mm-hmm. the bikers. Mostly the bikers we don't care about, right? But in this particular scene, we've kind of sided with them, and we right. want them to take take Tarver out, right? And then uh, one of the bikers pulls out his his gun, and he shoots, and the assumption is. That that biker that shot, he shoots at Tarver, and Tarver gets taken out. You can see him fall over. He's yeah. been shot. Yeah. And the assumption is, oh, that he just got taken out by the bikers. Tarver's dead. Yay. Yeah. No, really, that's why I want to be like, yay. But honestly, when it happened, I was like, that's bullshit. It should have been Willem Dafoe to take him out. That's what I it thought can't too. Can't just be a henchman. Like that's stupid. It's got to. It's got to have our our main protagonist do it. Yeah, I agree. I was like, I want him to take him out. Right. Right. But Tarver falls over. And then on, in all the chaos in the bar, everyone's screaming and running because guns are right. You're getting shot, and then it cuts to the to the doorway, and it's telling her with a gun, which was, I really enjoyed that. That I, I, I love that twist. Of, of course we did because yeah. she's the one character that we care about throughout the whole film. Right, right. Nobody else we care about except for telling <laughs> exactly. So they actually did it right here, which was like, le- thanks, Catherine. Right. Monty wanted to have. The random biker takeout Tarver, right? And and yeah, Ka- exactly. And yeah. Catherine was like, "No, we need to have <laughs> tell and I have some retribution." Catherine's like, "Monty, come on, man, you cannot do that." I wanted to be in on those uh, directorial, oh my god, uh, discussions on what to do uh, because did every- they write it together? Yeah, I think so. I think they both got co-writing credits. So, god. but this is a part where you go, "Whoa, that was a bit unexpected." And you start to feel like, good, I'm glad she she just killed her own dad. Yep. Whoa, that was a bit of a shock. They actually played it well there. They did. And so Tarver's dead and telling us there with the smoking gun. And you think, I'm thinking, okay, now Defoe's character is going to go and be like, hey, you know, like right. show some kind of. Some sort of emotion. Emotion. Um, and he just sits there. Throughout this whole thing, and then meanwhile, the rest of the gang is shooting up the place. Yeah, everyone's going crazy. And having a great people, time doing it. People are running around. It's just cats are, cry- cats are flying, babies right, crying. Right, like, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. just going nuts. And Defoe's sitting there. He's just sitting there. Is he the loveless then? He's got to be the loveless. What is he that? He is. Okay, I'm just making sure that he is the titular character. I think oh, I think he is. Okay. I think there's no doubt because he just doesn't give a shit. Even when he, he has no love. No, he has no love for Zero. anything. Not even mayhem. Like I, I don't even think when he felt up that that woman at the beginning, I don't think he even loved that. Yeah. I, I just think he's just trying to feel anything. He's just emotionless. Yeah, because love, these other guys are loveless. shooting up the bar and they're having a great old time doing it. Yeah. S- uh, scaring the squares, man. They're loving it, but they're, he just doesn't care. Yeah. And then, so I think telling at the doorway, the smoking gun. Killed her father. I'm thinking Defoe might do something. He doesn't. He sits there. Then it shows Telena walk out of the lounge, go get in her car. And then it shows Defoe finally come up to the doorway of the lounge mm-hmm. and look at her. She gets in her car. And then I knew what was going to happen. Oh, I did too. I did too. I mean, it was telegraphed in, but I still thought this was well done. This was, yeah. So basically she takes the same gun, sticks it in her mouth, 
Well, and it, it's it's slowly. It she does it very slowly too. Yeah. Like she kind of holds it and then turns it around. And uh, but I would attribute part of that to the acting. Like for sure, I, I thought I thought that, like you said, it was well played. This is one part that's well played, mm-hmm. which is like it's slow and the pacing actually in this particular scene is well done because it builds that tension and anxiety. It was a lot of suspense, and I was honestly kind of feeling a little anxious at this point. Yes, but of course, Defoe sitting there watching. Not doing anything, not trying to stop her. Doesn't try to stop her. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And she slowly puts the gun and kills herself. Yep. And he just sits there. Yep. And he jumps at the gunshot, but that's it. Yeah. And then, so now she's gone. And then it basically just cuts to the biker gang riding out of town. The one dude's apparently, either he's got his bike fixed or it's now, they're they're leaving. Because the last shot is just this, it's actually a nice little... Yeah. Shot like a nice crane shot up and there just shows one, two, three, you know, all the bikers driving off onto the highway. Yep. That's and it. That's it. That's the loveless. And they must have made it to Daytona. I <laughs> whole, I hope so. A, a town full of dead people in their wake. I don't know that it has a whole lot of substance to it like we've discussed. The only person we care about is Telena as a character. The soundtrack is very it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It doesn't It's rockabilly. It's rockabilly stuff. Type stuff. Yeah, and like so it, fits, it, it fits into yeah. to the story. This is William Defoe's debut uh role. Man, I'm glad he kept acting after as this. As an one. actor. I'm <clears throat> really glad cuz this was He just did I I just don't think he had a lot to work with. No. I don't think there was much there. He he didn't have a lot to do. I I to me, it was obviously back then they probably didn't know the talent they were dealing with, but he's far too talented for a role like this. I was anticipate not from Defoe. I thought Defoe was okay for what was given. Mm-hmm. I I was kind of anticipating a little more from Catherine Bigelow. Oh, of as course. a director, of course. I was kind of thinking when I saw she directed it, I was like, okay, this will be this will be good. Yeah. Especially because she does a lot she does a lot of action stuff. She's an action director, and mostly. For something to be so slow and boring like this, it's it's surprising that this was her start. And it's also surprising that there is, like we mentioned, there's no coverage. So like every shot, by the way, that you watch is like two minutes long. Yeah. It's just yeah. one single shot. Yeah. Two minutes long. Um I think we can sum it up this way, Alan, which is basically here's a here's a little thing. The film was originally titled US seventeen. After the highway in Georgia where it takes place. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> then distributors renamed it Breakdown okay. for its world premiere at the it, it's at the festival in Switzerland. And then upon its final release, it got titled The Loveless. So here's why I say this is because I think the movie is as schizophrenic as the naming of the, of the title <laughs> it really is it really it's is. all over it is it doesn't have any concise through line there's no emotionality no. to the characters no i get now that that makes sense if that's why do we is there a reason you want to make a film about hit that type of a character yeah, it, it just didn't feel like there was any burning desire to tell the story or to make it interesting, right? It was just I, I don't I don't know the point. I don't know the point. I, I don't. I wish I could have something intelligent to say about this, but the whole time I'm I'm just, I was bored. I was checking the time remaining, and I'm just I was just trying to get through it. And thank God it was only an hour and twenty minutes or whatever it was. Thank God it's eighty five minutes. Eighty five minutes. Thank yeah. God. Yeah, because <laughs> it was it's pretty rough. Part of those title changes was. The original film, after they called it, you know, uh, Breakdown, Bigelow didn't like the title, so uh, she felt that it was too generic. And I was like, you mean like the film? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> even I couldn't tell you anyone else. I, I I couldn't even pick out Tarver in a lineup. Yeah. Like, there's all of these characters are just faceless, nameless, and pointless to me. The only one is that that actually, it should have it should have been centered on Telena, and it should have been her yep. movie. It should have been, um, in, in a way, 
uh, title around her. Like, had you taken a little more of her story and let us see the story through her POV throughout, not just little yeah. moments, that would have been more intriguing. I agree. I agree <clears throat> for sure. Look, guys, uh, the Loveless. Don't watch it. Don't don't watch it. Don't watch it. Um, Alan, give me your rating on the Loveless, and give me your overall summary on the film. Um, I think we've got a pretty concise. Yeah vision of what you think there's not much more that i can say it it was it was boring and i didn't i didn't like it and the parts that i did like were far too short and gone too quickly the ending i think was pretty good and that will bump up the score a little bit and other than that it was just it was it is what it is it's one of the most forgettable movies i've ever seen in my life i'm gonna give it three and a half switchblades thrown it directly at your feet yeah okay three and a half that's <clears throat> there's alan's uh uh score for the loveless so i think i would summarize this particular film as boring i almost feel like the moderator in in billy madison <laughs> where i should i should say that you know we're all now stupider right for watching this film and may God have mercy on your right. soul. There, there are, you know, there's that, um, you know, people always say there's an hour and a half. I won't get back. I don't genuinely say that and mean it, but I actually do mean it with this movie. Actually, let me read a couple pieces of trivia real quickly. Okay. Um, particularly about Catherine Bigelow, which I think, because although we're kind of shitting on the film, uh, and that this is really the first one we've really gone in hard. Mostly, as you know, I'm a, I'm an apologist. Yeah. I always uh consider the concept of what it takes to make a movie i get that and i feel it so i'm a little more open-ended to to not and so as much as we're giving it a hard time at the same time i will say that uh i i uh her subsequent films i really enjoy um and she's uh ascended into that hollywood uh level uh, especially with the hurt locker which I thought was a great movie. Mm-hmm. If you saw The Hurt Locker, it's a great movie. And properly rewarded, she becomes the first female director to ever receive an Academy Award. Yep. So once again, you know, a lot of these times, you know, we even shit a little bit on well, on Scorsese's film, his yep. first film. Uh, but when you look at her first film, which is this, and we're, we're kind of shitting on it, and you look at where she's gone, like we know that there's still talent there and they've been able to over the course of time, put in a certain amount of reps to acquire, to pull and extrapolate that talent to make something that's really, you know, magnificent. Well, and I've, you know, I've said this a lot of times on on this podcast. To me, that's part of the fun of watching these old movies is to see where they came from and where they're at now. Yeah. Because there's something about the growth that is more fascinating to me than just watching a shitty movie. Yeah, and that's the the beauty of it. If we're going to pull kind of a, a nice golden nugget out of this, which is it's fun to see the fact that not everybody hits home runs. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, like there's failure, and there's something good about failure. Yeah. Uh, and I think societally and culturally, we should learn to embrace that and, and understand that even though we're kind of shitting on it, the, the truth be told is that the, uh, the other perspective of that is look you can fail mm-hmm. and then you can come out of that failure and really come out with something stronger yeah. on the other end it's not a death sentence by any stretch right so uh props to Catherine bigelow for being the first woman to ever win an academy award also um i found this interesting uh her favorite films uh are the wild bunch mean streets lawrence of arabia the terminator and all of Alfred Hitchcock's works. All of them, huh? Yeah, she loves the body of work from yeah. Hitchcock, right? Um, married James Cameron. Yeah. Which I didn't know. I did know that, actually. And they had, uh, of course, they're now divorced. Um, and she taught uh, college, so at the California Institute of the Arts. Um, <clears throat> also the first woman we mentioned to win the Academy Award, also the first woman to win a BAFTA for director. So that's the British equivalent of the Academy mm-hmm. Awards. So good on her. And I will say this, 
um, go and watch Point Break because I love Point Break. Yeah, ra- Point Break's great. I'd rather done the podcast on Point oh, Break. Oh, for sure. Because I could talk about P. Swayze and Keanu for sure. Reeves for two hours. For sure. Um, What's his name? Johnny Utah? Johnny Utah, baby. <laughs> Johnny Utah. That was only 10 years after this one, too. Yeah. Yeah, so... She came a long way in a short time. It's so fun and just... Yeah. It's really... It's just a good... It's a yeah. real solid movie. Uh, real quickly on on the, the ratings. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give this a three. A three? I'm... Wow. Wow. I had to undermine you. That's crazy. You. I had to wow. undermine you. Wow. Because typically you're the harder grader. That's true. I just did it out of spite. <laughs> well, I, going three and a half, I was... Uh, I was like, that might be a bit too harsh, but... The more I think back about it now, I think that's might be a little generous. You know what? Also, you know what also happens in these podcasts is we start to get we talk about it like because it's funny because like with Easy Rider, we we kind of came into Easy Rider, and we're both right. a little bit on the low scale. And then as we started talking through the film, right, we started our our growth started to or our score started to grow. Oh yeah, I think it was just all the Dennis Hopper stories you were telling me. The Dennis Hopper the dude, man, that guy. Yeah fantastic he's amazing but i think similarly now that we're kind of getting in and and not that this isn't what we talked about it is right but like it, it's only kind of validated in my head about how i felt about it um and so i don't feel like i'm coming in extremely low i just think i'm coming in fair um and what's interesting here is that if you, I can't find this movie on Rotten Tomatoes. That's how bad it is. It's so bad that Rotten Tomatoes doesn't want to have anything to do with it. The movie's basically <laughs> not on Rotten Tomatoes. They have all of her other movies, but not this one. I can't find it on there. I, I can see a rating on uh, IMDb. So IMDb has it at a 6.1 out of 10. I don't understand it. Out of 1,300 reviews, that's... Wow. That's, see, I, I swear there is... There's a bias to good directors when people look back at their old works i feel like they give them the benefit of the doubt and maybe a little bit more credit than they deserve i mean we definitely are not not doing that yeah we're definitely not doing that but just like look who's knocking at my door like i just don't believe that people loved it as much as they say they do i just cannot believe that yeah but look i think one thing you can take away from this is it's not on rotten tomatoes which means it's that bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they won't even grade it. That's what it is. Ron Tomatoes uh, looked at it and said, mm, nah, nah, let's not even post it. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. So Alan's got it at a 3.5. I've got it at a 3 out of 10. I would just say, like we said, look, the growth pattern as a director is there, but the film overall just doesn't gel together. Mm-mm. It just doesn't entice me to want to continue to watch it past the first 15 minutes yeah, until the last five minutes of the film. Yeah. What I think it could have been, quite honestly, is, is a short film. It, it could have been a 10-minute film and constructed the story the way they did and ended it the way they did and did all that, and it would have been, it would have been just as good, if not if probably better. Like, it would have totally. been more intriguing in a short form. Absolutely, absolutely. So, anyway, interesting. And I think... That's one thing I always notice, too, is like sometimes you can write a story and you try to stretch it. The story doesn't deserve 90 minutes. Right. The story deserves 10 minutes, 12 minutes. And maybe that's partly what they're doing because these scenes were so long, it was paced so long, and so maybe they were just trying to stretch it out. And too many characters, way too many characters. Too many characters and not enough of the character that we actually care about. Exactly. All right, this is The Loveless, directed by Catherine Bigelow and Monty Montgomery from 1982 and this is the tame aperture podcast go check us out on all streaming platforms www.tameaperture.com and tune in next week as we break into terrence malick's directorial debut from 1973 badlands and be sure to subscribe and tune in thanks everybody the tame aperture podcast is produced by dutch angle pictures in association with studio b productions listen watch and subscribe on apple podcasts google play spotify and youtube